you have your Bibles, open with me to the story that we uh, just heard snippets of in Luke chapter 2. Familiar Christmas story. We've been going through the nativity. Everybody got theirs up? And just walking through the characters that we find there. We started with Mary a couple weeks ago. And then we met her uh, husband-to-be, a guy named Joseph. Uh, Here's what we've kind of deduced about both. They were nobodies from a place called Nazareth that didn't amount to a whole lot at all. They were not much when it came to at least worldly standing. And it's kind of a theme uh, for the nativity. We get to the story of these shepherds now uh, who are watching their flocks in the fields at night. And uh, we're going to discuss them as we finish out today. Everybody there? Luke chapter 2, verse 8 is where we will begin. Uh, We're going to talk about how the shepherds got dibs. Uh, In the same region, it says in verse 8, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. At the birth of Christ, like I just said, the shepherds got first dibs. Everybody familiar with the term dibs? Uh, Dibs is uh, basically how you grow up in your house getting things over your siblings. At least it was how uh, I uh, grew up. Um, We would call for things, most notably shotgun. The front seat. Who remembers fighting over uh, riding in the front seat with one of your uh, brothers or sisters? I don't know why it was so important to be up there, but it was. And so early uh, before a, a journey would be taken, uh, one of the first things that would happen, you know, we'd get down to the kitchen for breakfast and, and one of my sisters would say, I call shotgun. I call was how we would say dibs. I call shotgun. And, and for some reason, that was it. Could not be disputed. She'd called it, Right? This, uh, this calling of things expanded to other parts of our family uh, fabric. We, uh, uh, we would call for TV shows because some of you youngers try to picture this world, this dark age, right, where there was no streaming, there was no DVRs. I grew up at a time where there were no VCRs. It was on once, and if you missed it, you missed it until next year when Fonzie would come back on reruns, right? Now, there were a few shows that we all agreed on, But then there would be times, especially Saturday afternoons, I'd want to watch the Red Sox game. They'd want to watch anything but the Red Sox game. And so you had to be fast on the trigger. You had to call it. I call Red Sox. And that's how I got to have my love for baseball. Uh, Last pieces of cake, so many things. Uh, We called or or got dibs on what we wanted in life. Now, the the, the Christmas story differs a little bit because the shepherds didn't call it. God did. God uh, blessed these nobodies, these, these uh, undesirables who are watching these uh, sheep in the fields at night uh, with the privilege, they got dibs, as being the first ones outside the family of Jesus to actually see Jesus. Uh, I spent uh, the week kind of thinking about that and wondering why. I think uh, one of the most common answers you read in the books that that basically comment on the Bible is that uh, the shepherds were included because eventually Jesus would uh, label himself the good, yeah, he's the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, he kind of rolls that out as as one of his titles and he compares himself to a shepherd. I I came to, you know, protect and provide for my flock. And he actually says this in John 10, to lay my life down for my flock, yeah. Uh, so apt that the shepherds would be included in his birth story. But I think it goes beyond just the fact that Jesus would one day be called shepherd himself. I think the shepherds were included in the same way that Mary and Joseph were included because God was trying to make an important point. Uh, This son of his who has come to earth 
has come for the least of these, the lowest of the low. And certainly that was the shepherds in the culture that uh, we find them in at the telling of this story. Shepherd was one of the worst jobs you could have. If you couldn't find any other job and didn't have any property or any flocks of your own, you could basically, you know, uh, uh, you know if, 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 if you've been, you know, lost all your family members, all, that's, you're basically, you're, whatever your dad was, you were. And, and if all of that was gone, you could... Uh, just submit yourself to a local farmer and say, hey, I'll take the garbage job, which is watching the flocks at night, walking, can you picture this? Walking them around a desert, looking for water and grass. Like, we're kind of spoiled here. We, you know, and I'm not a farmer, maybe you are, but like, uh, uh, we have ways of providing for our animals uh, that just didn't exist 2,000 years ago. And so one of the worst jobs you could have was shepherd. And uh, it was an undesirable job given to undesirables. Shepherds in the first century were almost all uh, unilaterally seen as thieves. If a shepherd came into town or into the uh, space that you were occupying, you would grab your wallet, fellas, or ladies, you'd hang on to your purse because they were going to rip you off. Um, Probably because they were getting paid so poorly and had such a rotten life. Uh, They were lecherous, um, undesirable in every way. And it was these shepherds that God chose to reveal the birth of his son to Mary uh, in her song that she writes after, uh, in the first chapter of Luke, after finding out from an angel she'd be uh, Jesus' mother, and after visiting with her cousin Elizabeth and finding out that she as an older barren woman would bear a child as well, um, she, she got to, you know, in her mind, squared around with this idea that she was going to be who she was going to be. And so she, in, in Luke chapter 1, starts singing a song, it's a poem almost, uh, of her thoughts, uh, praising God for including her, little old me, in the story that he's cho- choosing to tell, and then praising God for his purposes in the child. And he says this, or she says this, pardon me, in Luke chapter 1, verse 51. He, God the Father, has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered, get this, the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted those of what estate? Humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. What an interesting thing for a, a mother to be, having found out that she's going to be the father of the son, or father, mother of the son of God. Uh, she starts singing these things, that this child would send the rich away. What was she alluding to? Well, she's alluding to, to something that her son, as he uh, grows to be an adult and starts his ministry years, um, taught about in one of his most well-known sermons. It's actually the first sermon I ever preached here uh, when I became a pastor at, uh, at Bay Life Church. It's in Matthew chapter five, from the Sermon on the Mount, the first words of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The Greek word blessed is the Greek word, uh, or Greek word for blessed is makarioi, and it basically means accepted or approved. It's like God stamped uh, his approval on this manner of living. He says, uh, I'm approving of, accepting of those who understand that they're poor. Not financially, but poor in spirit. And indeed, it's only the poor in spirit who enter the kingdom of heaven. I used to take my kids to 
Bush Gardens, when we first moved here, they were in third, fourth, and fifth grade, and they kind of grew up uh, over the last 20 years hanging out uh, at various ways at these local parks that we all love and uh, house people who want to come visit them um, from the north. Anybody got family members who mooch off you so they can go to these port parks? I digress. Anyway, uh, I would take my kids over there. My son Cooper was a late bloomer. He's, he's a, a strapping young man now, six feet tall, but uh, uh, he didn't grow very fast. Those of you who knew him knew that was true. Uh, when he was a freshman in high school, he was four foot nine, weighed about 120 pounds. People thought he was in the wrong place, right? Uh, but it, he just, he was late. And uh, so consequently, all of his friends uh, whose pituitary glands worked differently than his uh, just shot up. And every time they would go to Bush Gardens, they'd, they'd you know, uh, way before he was able to, be able to ride all of these rides that he desired to get on. I still remember the day that he finally got to the height where he could ride Shikra. It was the new one back then. And uh, we just celebrated it. It was just barely the top of his hair that touched the line, right? Everybody's familiar with the line that's outside these rides, right? But, but the guy said, go. And, and it was like, you know, he had won the lottery. It's like, finally, I get to get on these rides. And he, he did uh, the kingdom of heaven, it's different than Shikra. Uh, the bar for the kingdom of heaven, it's not about how high you are, it's about how low you are. Spiritually speaking, the bar's on the ground. And if you don't recognize your spiritual condition, that you're poor in spirit, and you have absolutely nothing to bring to this transaction between you and God that would justify you and, and, and cause you to be seen as righteousness, that you have to rely entirely on him and what he's done through his son, then the kingdom of heaven's just not yours. The Bible uh, speaks of this in many ways. One of my favorites in a parable where Jesus says this common verse, we've probably used it before, maybe not in what the intended context would, uh, you know, <laughs> prescribe, but uh, anybody use this one for us? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Anybody ever use, heard that, used that before? Where do you use it? Usually when there's a line, right? And someone beats you to the front of the line and you're like, well, the last will be first and the first will be last. And so you come back here and you're like some kind of righteous last one, right? Yeah. That's not what the context of the verse actually bears out. It's a uh, tied to a story, a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 20. It's a parable of a vineyard and a master who's over a vineyard. And I'm going to try to tell it real fast, so pay attention real quick. Everybody ready? The master goes out and he uh, basically, at the first hour of the day, which was 6 a.m. for the Jews, uh, he finds some workers who had no job and no uh, you know, prospects for a job. And he says, hey, would you like to work in my vineyard? And they said yes. And so they go and work. And subsequently, the master leaves, gets in his pickup truck, leaves his field, and goes back to town. And in the third hour, which would be our nine o'clock, in the sixth hour, which would be our noon, in the ninth hour, which would be our three o'clock, he goes out and he finds additional workers and brings them back to the field. And then the parable concludes with the master going out one more time in his truck at the 11th hour. Anybody ever heard of the 11th hour and used it to describe something that was coming in last minute? Well, that came in at the 11th hour. Did you know you were quoting the Bible? Because this master goes out and at the 11th hour finds additional workers who will work in his field. Now, we don't know when the day ended, but 11th hour in the Jewish you know, time frame is basically five o'clock. So if the sun goes down there in uh, Israel, uh, at around six or seven, depending on what time of year it is, these guys maybe only got in one hour or two hours of work, while the guys who started at the beginning had been there all day. 
Story ends with the master paying the last one in first. The 11th hour workers, uh, they receive their first, the first payment. Forgot to tell you this part. The first hour workers had been promised what's called a denarius. It was the uh, fee that basically uh, Roman soldiers would earn for a day's wage. And it was something that a, a, a lowly you know, day worker in Israel could not begin to expect, maybe in a week or a month's time, to be able to earn. And so, of course, those first hour workers were like, yeah, we'll, do, we'll work for a day for a denarius, down. So the master gets the 11th hour workers together, and what's he give them? Anybody know? That amount of money. And the first hour workers saw them get paid the denarius, and what did they do? They did the math. And they're like, hey, if bozos from the 11th hour get, you know, a denarius for a couple hours of work, we did 12. They probably weren't that great at math. Uh, But, you know, it's like six denarius, right? But then one by one, all of the worker groups come up, and everybody got the same amount. Until finally it was the first hour workers' time. And they come up and what do they receive? One denarius. How do you think they felt? Jilted. Why? Because they'd worked harder than everybody else. And the master says something real simple to him. Hey, man, it wasn't about you or your work that got you into my field. If I hadn't called you, if I hadn't given you this opportunity, you'd get zero denarius, Right? And so because I called you, regardless of how much you did or didn't do, but because I called you, you have been blessed. And it was Jesus basically saying to these Jewish, this Jewish crowd who was, you know, uh, built on this idea that do more, get more. Behave better, get better. And he was basically hammering home this, no, 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 first shall be last, last shall be first. Everybody's on the same level. And guess what that level is spiritually? Low, poor, in need of help. <clears throat> so that's why he chose the shepherds to make a point. We're all shepherds. Hi, shepherds. We're all spiritual shepherds, the lowest of the low, undesirable, irredeemable, having nothing on our own that could equate to righteousness with God. What I want to do with the rest of our time is is basically walk through uh, what's outlined for us in the story of the shepherds. It's like steps in a journey. And it helps us understand, as as spiritual shepherds, what needs to happen with us if we're going to experience the redemption that this child is born to give. Every shepherd's journey looks like this. Every shepherd first has to recognize that the journey starts in darkness and fear. Now, we talked about this last week as we discussed Joseph, that Jesus was born, and this is what the angel told Joseph. Jesus was born to save man from their sins. It's the whole reason he hit the planet, was to be the the price paid, the, uh, the, the bridge built between us and God. And that happens when he dies and saves us from our sins. Why is that necessary? Because all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all poor in spirit. We're all shepherds in need of saving. 
Recognize that the journey starts in darkness and fear. Look at what it says in verse eight, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Two things that I popped out of there, I don't know if you saw them bolded, night and fear. Now, I think the angels come at night, uh, one, for just practical reasons. It's a better light show, right? Like if you're gonna light up the heavens with the glory of God, do it at night, it's gonna look better. We all agree? Anybody been to like, you know, uh, the Strawberry Festival and you see a concert in the middle of the day? It's okay, but it would have been way better if they had some lights going, right? So that's the practical, let's move on. There's a spiritual component to this, where the, the metaphor, the, the imagery pops, because these lowest of the low are living not just physically and in, in time span in the dark, they were living spiritually in the dark. And when the, the glory of God, the perfection of God shows up in his messengers, uh, that's a cause of great fear. Now, I don't want to belabor this, but basically, you got choices in life. You could go through life, which is going to be dark. Testify, anybody? There's going to be dark moments. It's going to be scary. Anybody? Had a couple, right? So you can go through life in the dark, scary times, either with God or without God. And if you go through them without God, that's a tough spot. But if you walk through them with God and walking towards him in life, then this God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above anything that we can ask or think is able to walk you through those dark moments and assuage those deep fears and lead you through tough stuff, which is inevitable in every human life, right? Sitting down uh, with my kid, Ben, who I love deeply. He's gone through some pretty hard things in just the past week or so, uh, some disappointments, redirections, and, and the ways that uh, you know, his plans were gonna go in life. It's left him feeling pretty scared. That's the word he used, terrified. I don't know what to do next. It feels dark, Dad. And I love my kid. Anybody love theirs? Yeah. And so it, it weighs with me. I feel the darkness. I share the fears. But there's something quantifiably different. If you haven't heard me talk about my kid, he's kind of giving God the Heisman right now. He thinks he's got better ideas. And there's lots of reasons why that's just bad. <laughs> but one of them is just real practical in these kinds of seasons. When darkness comes, and this is what I told him. We were over eating fajitas the other day. I was like, hey, bro, here's what's happening right now. I'm going through this with you. Sure, it's happening to you, but it's happening to me and your mom. But here's the difference between what you're experiencing and what I'm experiencing. You're going through the darkness without the tether to heaven that allows you to know that God's got this, and he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Your mom and I have that. And that doesn't make us impervious to the effects of darkness or, you know, superheroes when it comes to feeling fear. We got them. We feel it. But what it does allow us is to say, hey, where I don't have it, he does. Where I can't be trusted, he can. He holds the future. And so I walk with him. Anybody who's going to experience the redemption that this child, Jesus, comes to give needs to recognize that they're in the dark. And that's a scary place. And then they need to heed the news. Heed the news. It's my prayer before I got up and spoke to you today. Some of you might be listening to me for the first time. You're kind of wondering whether you're not going to pay attention. You know, am I going to come back? Do I give this guy another shot? 
Hey, love to have you, hope you do. But my chief prayer was that as I talk about these things today, it would you know, pop through the outer surfaces of your earballs and, and head into, uh, is that a thing? I don't even know. But, uh, but head into your mind and, and you'd really wrestle with the truth that I'm sharing with you from God's word. That's what the angel uh, caused in the shepherds. They had to hear the, the news that was given them and then decide what they were going to do with it. Heed the good news. It says in verse 10 that the angel said to them, fear not, right? Angels say that pretty much all the time in the Bible. Scary dudes. Fear not, for behold, I bring you, and here it is, good news, right? Of what kind of joy? Mega joy, great joy that will be for all the people. How many of the people? All of them. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It adorns the Christmas cards you're sending to each other these days. Uh, but there's uh, perhaps no more profound a sentence in all of our scriptures than this one that describes the child who is born. He's three things. He's first of all, the Greek word is soter. Everybody say soter. He's the savior of the world. The angel told Joseph in Matthew that this, this boy born to you will be the savior of men in their sins. And Jesus comes to be the savior. The Greek word soter means rescuer. He, he comes to us uh, helpless, poor in spirit, shepherds, and he saves us from what we cannot save ourselves from. My son Cooper was two years old, still short. <laughs> he was uh, playing on the back of a, a chair that was kind of pushed up to a corner in our living room. He had Fisher-Price castle guys. Does anybody remember Fisher-Price action figures? Uh, he had castle guys, knights, and he would make them fight each other. Uh, one of them fell off the back of the chair. Uh, you, you can almost see a little kid's brain working when you're watching him. I'm in the couch watching the football game, and I got my other eye on Coop, right? And I could see he's trying to figure out, how do I get this guy? He chose poorly. Two-year-olds do that, right? He thinks he can throw his leg over the chair, and before I could get up to stop him, he's done that, and in his diaper, he's flying over the side of this thing, and we hear a thud. Parents, you familiar with the thud? There's two kinds of thuds, right? There's the oh-no thud, I should have got there before. And then there's the oh good thud. Does anybody remember the oh good? Why am I holding up three? Anyway, <laughs> the, the oh good thud is there's no crying, right? And, and you got a minute. You got a second to just kind of see what happens next. So I'm sitting there. I remember turning the TV off, and I just wait to hear things. And I said, Coop, you okay, bud? Coop doesn't answer right away. You can kind of hear him shifting back there. At one point, uh, he's tall enough that his little finger nubs uh, pop up behind the chair as he's trying to grab the top and pull himself up. So I repeat my question. Coop, you okay? And he said what every good two-year-old finally arrives at. I stuck. <laughs> Which is shorthand for dad, get over here. I'm not getting out of this thing without you. And so I left him there for the rest of the day. I went and took a walk and... No, is that what I did? Oh. Of course I walked across the living room and I grabbed my kid by his wrists and I did the whee and popped him up and gave him raspberries on his belly and we laughed and joked. And he was safe once more. Confident that little bugger was, right? That that's exactly what I would do. Hey, can I give you some confidence in this child who was born, shepherds? He came to save you. 
and to pull you out of what you could not pull yourself out of. You are stuck in your sin, the darkness and fear that it brings, and he came to save you from it. He came to be the Christ. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Mashiach, which is Messiah. He's the anointed one, the long-described one in prophecy. He came to be Savior and Christ. But here's the big one. He came to be the Lord of a shepherd's life. That's what the angel said to the shepherds, right? A child is born to you. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's come to rule. That's what the word kurios, which is translated Lord in your Bibles, means. Ruler. He's come to rule you. And this is, this is the big rub with Christians and Christianity in general. We're kind of like one toe in the water Christians sometimes, right? Like, I, you know, I, I want the benefits of the salvation, but I don't want the responsibilities of the lordship. Like, thank you for the fire insurance, Jesus, I'm in. But don't tell me what to do. I'll just see you when I get there. If that's you, like if you're just kind of a, a familial Christian, like your family's Christian, so you think you are, I'm here to tell you, that's not how you become a Christian. It's not genetic. If you're a habitual Christian, you go to church a bunch, maybe even serve in things. But when it comes to push, to, you know, push comes to shove, uh, you're not interested in, 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 in hearing from God and what he wants you to do. You're not interested in what the word says to do. You wanna run your life. You want your cake and you wanna eat it too, spiritually speaking. Here's what I would say to you. Unless Jesus is your savior and your Lord, I'm just not even sure if you're saved. And that's, that's a big theological statement. But it bears it out, you know, bears it out in scripture that lots of people think, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm saved, I'm with Jesus, but because they have never truly submitted to him, made him their Lord. He calls them goats and not sheep. Jesus came, that's the good news, to be our Savior and our Lord. For the sake of time, let's go to verse 12. It says, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Uh, spoiler alert, every baby's wrapped in swaddling clothes, even now, right? Like if a baby's born, the first thing they do is they wrap it up like a burrito before they hand it to you, right? So swaddling clothes, baby wraps, that's not a sign. What's the sign for these shepherds? Hey, you'll know that we're for real, angels, uh, saying to the shepherds, you'll know that we're for real. If you go into Bethlehem and you walk by all the barns, and if you hear a cooing amongst the mooing, if there's some cries from inside that barn, that's the kid we're talking about. Go talk to them, uh, those parents. It says that after the instructions, the GP, uh, GPS coordinates were given, that uh, there suddenly was an uh, with the angel, the single angel messenger, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And here's one of my favorite things in their song, which we don't know is actually a song. We assume it is. But they say, On earth, peace. Jesus comes so that on earth, peace. It's bad English, but it's a great thing. On earth, peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. We've already found out. Uh, from other parts of what we studied today, that those with whom God is pleased are those who recognize that they're poor in spirit, right? Those are the ones who get into the kingdom of heaven. And what the angels are celebrating here, glory to God in the highest, uh, and on earth there's peace for those on whom his favor or his pleasure rests. There's peace for those who recognize that they're poor in spirit and choose to heed this good news. 
How's peace going in your life? Jesus came to bring you peace. Two kinds, peace with God, right? He came to die as your sacrifice so that uh, the, the, the offense that is your sin would no longer stand between you and a holy God. He's the bridge. He came to bring us peace with God. But here's my favorite part. After you've experienced by faith this peace that you can have with God, Jesus came to give us the peace of God. I've already alluded to that. It's this, this great benefit of life with him. He just supernaturally comes in and, and, and in the dark times, the scary times, he grants us his peace. Recognize that you're in the dark, and that's a scary place. Heed the good news, and then head to Jesus. This is what it says in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And it says they went in haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Angels leave, light shows over, Shepherds are just kind of hanging out, right? Did you see that? Was that just me? No, I saw it too, Bill. Carl, what do you think we should do? I don't know. Let's, uh, let's set up a diagram chart here of the pluses and minuses, you know, the pros and the cons. Is that what they did? No, immediately, with haste. They're like, we're going to Bethlehem. Think about what that meant. I mean, not a great job being a shepherd, but... Certainly a risk that they would lose their job if they left the sheep, right? But all of that, everything, uh, the Bible describes, you know, uh, uh, in other parables how you find this pearl of great price. And you go home and you sell everything so you can purchase the field that the pearl is found in. This is kind of the picture that we have of the shepherds. Upon hearing the good news, they're like, hey, bug everything else. We've got to get ourselves to Bethlehem. And that's what they did. And they followed the angel's instructions. And they found the baby. This is where I want to close our time. I want to talk to you about uh, one of the plagues that I see in the, in the church, uh, in the story of Jesus. There's lots of people. Everybody point to your temples for me as we're almost done. Lots of people know about Jesus. Okay, you can put them down. Some of you are like, how long? How long do I do this? How long? You know, we've got a lot of head knowledge. In fact, Here's the deal. Anybody heard this passage preached before? If you've been here in the time that I've been here, you've heard it a bunch. It comes up most Christmases, right? I'm, I'm not expecting to plow new ground, you know, in the things that I'm sharing with you today, right? So you probably had a knowledge previously of what I'm talking about. You're, you're, you're following me. But <laughs> where Christianity uh, fails for those who would follow is that it stays here. And it never becomes the passion of our lives, the heart of our lives, right? Other things inhabit our hearts. We're passionate about the bucks. Kind of a rough season. Hope you're doing okay. But, you know, it's our sports teams. It's our colleges that we went to. It's our, um, uh, our avocation. Anybody here, when you describe yourself as the first thing you say, I'm a, and then whatever your job is? Why don't we say, I'm a Christian? Now, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out. Who happens to work at the base or happens to, you know, serve, you know, our country in this, whatever. You know, but, but we don't describe ourselves in the ways that perhaps we could be best described. Why? Because, you know, too much of the time what we have with Jesus is here and it doesn't 
inhabit here. It doesn't become our passion. I, I wrestle with this. Anybody? Anybody? Come on, man. I, I come to work at a church every day. I'm like, a, I tell you this all the time, I'm a paid Christian. And it's really easy for me just to kind of, you know, tick the boxes and do the right things and say the right things and post the right things if I actually did social media. But you know what I'm talking about, right? It'd be easy to know the right things and do them. But if it isn't here, so that's what happens with these shepherds. They hear it and it registers in their brains and then like everything else drops because it got to hear. And once it gets to hear, guess what happens? It ends up going to hear and to hear and to hear. And it changes how we live. But way too often, we're these, you know, uh, uh, mental Christians and mental alone. Assenting to the truths, but not allowing them to change our hearts. Oh, that we would be a church full of people who don't just know the story, but love the story. Who don't just know about Jesus, but love Jesus. Who don't just understand but their hearts are given to him so that as their passions rest with him, their actions follow. There's more, but we're out of time. Anybody grateful for the goodness of God? Because he sent this child to us lousy shepherds, right? Us poor in spirits, he gave us a way. How do we in life, for the first time, leave the darkness and scariness of life without him, we hear his news, his good news. We heed it. And then we head in his direction. It's got to go from here to here and then to here so that life changes. He's not just our Savior. He's our Lord. I pray that's who Jesus is in your life. If he's not yet, I post up here after every service. We don't often do altar calls where you walk down during a song but I'm your altar call. I'm waiting right there. You come to talk to me, and I'll introduce you to the child who was born in the city of David, and he will change your life like he's changed mine. All right, is everybody grateful? Is God a good, good father? Let's sing about the goodness of God. Stand with us.